Please take your Bible and turn to Philemon. We're going to once more use the last verse, the benediction of the book of Philemon as a launching pad for today's message. Philemon, verse 25, says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Knowing God is the essence of the Christian life. This is substantiated by what Jesus says in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We know people two ways. We know people by description, and we know people by acquaintance. The kind of knowledge that the New Testament and the Old Testament use uses to describe the way in which we're to know God, it's by acquaintance. It's relational knowledge. This is seen in Genesis 4.1 where the Bible says, Adam knew his wife Eve. It's the identical word which is used throughout the entire Old Testament to describe the knowledge we are to have of God. We are to have an intimate relationship with God. Which raises a very important question. How do we get to know God in this manner? How do we enter into a relationship with God? We enter into a relationship with God and get to know Him this way through what the Bible would say is special communication from God. God has acted in history. In the Old Testament, most prominently in the Exodus experience when God liberated the children of Israel from over 400 years of bondage. And then in the New Testament, with regard to the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, including especially His passion and His resurrection and His promise of His coming. Also, God uses the Bible to speak to us. And the Bible claims for itself divine authority for all matters of faith and practice. And this divine authority is the result of a process whereby God-moved people wrote down God-breathed words. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired. The word inspired really is a poor translation. The NIV picks up on the right interpretation where the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. Actually, the Word of God was exhaled by the Spirit of God into the minds and hearts of men who in turn recorded the Word of the Lord to us. The Scriptures are verbally inspired. The reason we know that is because the Bible attests to that truth. In Exodus 24, the Bible says, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. In Jeremiah 26, 2, God speaks to the prophet and he says to him, Do not leave out a single word. Samuel, the Bible tells us that in 2 Samuel, that David had the word of the Spirit on his tongue. He spoke the word of God. And then the New Testament says essentially the same thing in many places. So God wants to speak to us by His Spirit through His Word so that we will know Him. I want to talk today regarding the Spirit's role in our coming to know God. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit's role. Remembering what we saw last week, that God communicates to us in our spirit. We're going to see that in more depth today, hopefully. The first thing that we see from the Bible regarding the Holy Spirit's role in letting us know God is He reveals God to us. Jesus Himself says that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. 
which means He is the Spirit who produced the truth. If you and I know the truth, we know it because the Holy Spirit has produced it. But not only this, the Holy Spirit can produce the truth and people not get the truth. The Holy Spirit also illuminates our minds and our hearts so that we can understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God to us in such a way that we will get to know God. Jesus says also in John 14 that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything which I said. So the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals God to us. And He does it by His Spirit. For instance, when you became a Christian, you became a Christian not because you were on a mission, a quest to know God. If you know Jesus Christ, you came to Christ because the Spirit of God revealed Christ to you. The Bible says before we receive Christ, our eyes are blinded by the God of this age. And then the Holy Spirit comes and He takes the blinders off of our eyes. Jesus says in John 15, 26, that the Holy Spirit bears testimony to Jesus. Aren't you glad this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us? Before we come to Christ, He brings us to a point of receiving Christ by revealing Christ. And then beyond that, what He does is as we journey with the Lord through this life, He opens the truth of God's Word to us so we can know God. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit does. In addition to revealing God to us, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He gives us life. In Ephesians 2, the Bible says we were dead before we came to know Jesus. We came into this world with no spiritual life at all. We had a soul that was alive. Because if we've seen, the soul has to do with our minds, our emotions, and our will. We needed, however, to be given life. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He who joins himself with the Lord, speaking of Jesus, he who joins himself with the Lord is one in spirit with the Lord. Notice that Paul does not say is one in soul with the Lord. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we first of all have to have his Love revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit comes and He gives us life. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life. Just as surely as the Holy Spirit produces truth, He also produces life. If there's any spiritual life in me, it's because the Spirit of God has brought that life to bear upon my life. The soul is something that can easily be confused with the Spirit. And we saw last Sunday that soulish Christianity is in direct opposition to spiritual Christianity. We saw how when Paul concludes the book of Philemon by pronouncing this benediction upon Philemon, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit because it's in the spirit, the human spirit, little s spirit. It's in our spirit that God speaks to us. John 4.24, Jesus says, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit. So please do not confuse your emotions with your spirit or your mind with your spirit or your will with your spirit. Now here's what happens. When the Spirit of God takes His proper place in my spirit and He begins to reveal God to me, 
What happens to my soul is my soul is influenced by my spirit. Now, the problem is, for those of us who know Christ even, is that there's a tendency for us to lapse back into depending upon our soul instead of referring to our spirit where the spirit of the Lord lives in our lives. And therefore, we look for things to excite us sometimes, enthuse us sometimes, to really stimulate us intellectually sometimes. And God does that through our soul. But be sure that has to begin in your spirit. Now, the rest of the time, I want to focus on the third aspect of the Spirit's role in revealing God to us. The Spirit of God not only reveals God to us, not only does He regenerate us and give us life spiritually, but He also resides in us. What? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? The Holy Spirit's come to indwell us. And not just some of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you got all of the Spirit. Now, here's the real question. Does He have all of you? I never forget reading a story about D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. And a group of people in a large city were talking about bringing someone to their city who could do a great evangelistic rally. And the name of Moody kept coming up. There was one dissenter in the group. And he said, does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And then one wise person in the group said, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. He has control of his life. That's why God used D.L. Moody, who butchered the king's English. He didn't even have a high school degree. When he first went to England and preached the gospel, he was made fun of by the press because he did such a terrible job of communication. But that same person who was a poor communicator was used mightily by the Spirit of God. What does that tell you and me about the work of the Spirit of God? He's not looking for capable people. He's looking for available people. And the question which you and I need to ask ourselves, are we available like a D.L. Moody, a shoe salesman in Chicago, Basically, a man with very poor education, but a man mightily used of God. Ignorance of this teaching that the Holy Spirit lives in you and me if we know Christ has led to a lack of growth in the Lord for thousands, if not millions, of Christians. If you are not growing spiritually, it could be because you just don't know how. I think most people who know the Lord really would like to grow, but they don't know how. Why does the Spirit of God dwell in me? To transform me. That's the main reason. He wants to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants to change me to be like Jesus Christ. And He can do that, as we're going to see in a moment. In the process, He guides me. David says in Psalm 143, verse 10, Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Notice the emphasis on the type of ground. It's level ground. Do you ever feel like you're on a roller coaster spiritually, just like this? You get on a high and then you hit the bottom and you come back up. Are you tired of that? Are you frustrated by that kind of living? Let me go a little further and probe a little deeper. You may know everything there is to know in Scripture about what it means to become a Christian, You may even know what it means to be a Christian. You may have tried hundreds of times to overcome some sin in your life as a Christian. But try as you might, you have failed over and over and over again. Is there anyone here like that? Don't raise your hand. 
There'd be a sea of hands, I'm sure, raised today. Have you ever had that kind of experience in your life? Do you know why you continue to have that? It's because you're not trusting God's Spirit to change you. You have to be transformed in your spirit, not in your soul. You don't need to have a mind lift or an emotional lift. You don't need to have a volitional lift. Look, you don't need to learn as a Christian how to argue for Christ better. You don't have to, as a Christian, get more tears produced in your life to become more like Christ. And you don't have to be a person who just sort of decides to grit your teeth, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and you're going to do this or die trying. Many of you have done that, and you're on the edge of dying trying. You're tired of it. You're frustrated. You're worn out spiritually. And this is good news, by the way, that you are worn out because the Lord's let you get to this place so you can hear what the truth of God's Word is about the transforming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as He guides us. He empowers us for the walk. What happens way too often among Christians is we rely on ourselves and not on God who raises the dead. Please look at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 14. Ephesians 3:14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power, where and how? Through His Spirit in the inner man, in your spirit, The Holy Spirit comes to empower you. Now, let me remind you of something which we saw last week. We saw where Jesus says that that which is born of spirit with a capital S is spirit with a little s. When you and I received Christ, He renewed our spirit. He regenerated our spirit. He gave us life inside our spirit. His spirit came to live in our spirit. In the New Covenant, spelled out in Ezekiel 36, The Bible says to us, God speaks, he says, I will give you a new spirit, little s. And then he goes on to say, I will put my spirit, big s, in you. Why do we have to have a new spirit? We have to have a new spirit because the Holy Spirit needs to have a place of purity to dwell. A new place. And that's why he comes to dwell in our hearts. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Who's doing the doing of the Christian life through you? Who's doing it? Is it you? That's why so many Christians are frustrated. That's why so many Christians are fruitless. It's because they're trusting in themselves, not in the Holy Spirit, to accomplish His purpose through their lives. Well, I want to be real practical with you from this point forward. How do we get... The Spirit's presence to become the Spirit's power in our lives. Are you ready for that? I think I'm ready for it. I hope I'm ready for it. I need it. 
I don't need my own power to overcome sin in my life. I've failed over and over again when I've tried to correct things in my life. But what I know is the Holy Spirit gives the power. He strengthens me in my inner person, in my spirit. He strengthens me so that I can really be fruitful for Him and be an honor and a glory to Him. So, how does this happen? It happens by faith. The whole life of the Christian is a life of faith. Let's turn back to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, one book toward the front of your Bible. And we'll read verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed by every, is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? It's the same way we received the presence of the Holy Spirit. How did we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit? We exercised faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord came to live in our lives in the person of His Holy Spirit. He took up residence in our lives. For some of you, that was an ecstatic experience. It was accompanied by great emotional experience. For others present today, there was barely a ripple on the surface of your emotions when you received Jesus into your heart. We could run the whole gamut of emotions as it relates to receiving Christ. But it really didn't matter whether you had an experience that was emotional or not. Why? Because faith is not so much an experience it is, according to Scripture, it's a person's opening himself or herself up so that he or she could move in the direction of putting trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what is meant by faith. Sometimes accompanied by an experience, sometimes not. This is the same faith which Paul speaks of here in Galatians 3.14. If you and I are going to become people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, it becomes a matter of our simply placing our faith and trust in the Lord. And not just some of our faith, but completely giving trust of our lives to the Lord. And this faith expresses itself in obedience. In Acts 5.32, the Bible says, The Lord gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey the Lord. The way I show that I'm a man of faith is I obey the Lord, right? Right? What good is a man's faith if there's no action which follows it? James says it's dead. And many people who profess to be Christians really aren't at all. They've never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They may have had an emotional experience. They may have believed a set of propositions about Jesus and about God the Father and the Spirit in their minds. They may have decided, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to join the church. But they have not been regenerated yet. That's possible. In people's lives. We exercise faith. Now, how do we know what the Spirit is telling us to do? He speaks to us, as Ricky read from 1 Kings 19, in a still, small voice. The Holy Spirit doesn't scream at us. The Holy Spirit's not a yeller. The Holy Spirit speaks quietly. But I'm going to say something I hope is not disrespectful to the Holy Spirit now. He nags you, though. He keeps speaking. 
He keeps speaking. He keeps speaking. Just speaks, speaks, speaks. As was the case with Elijah. The voice of the Lord wasn't in the wind. It was not in the earthquake. It was not in the fire. It was in the sound of a gentle blowing. That word sound is the same word which is used in Genesis 3.8 to describe the fact that Adam would hear the Lord, the sound, it says, of the Lord walking in the garden, quietly speaking. Is the Spirit of God quietly speaking to you today about your need to put faith in Him and trust Him to empower you for living the Christian life? Look, it's time to put that frustration behind you today by trusting in the Lord in this manner. Sometimes the Spirit of God speaks to us through His Word. Really, that's the main way in which He does His written Word. But occasionally, He'll speak to us things that are in no way contrary to His written Word, but which have particular relevance to our situation. I had this happen to me week before last. I was getting ready for work, and the call came in, and I listened on the answering machine, and the lady identified herself. And then she said, I need to talk to Mike Woods. It's very important. She emphasized very important. Well, I knew who she was. I didn't know her from personal experience, but I did know her because for the last two-plus years, I've been receiving calls from collection agents. And it's not because I haven't paid my bills, by the way. Okay. There's another Mike Woods here in town, Michael S. Woods, who evidently, and if you're in the audience, don't identify yourself, okay? But this Michael S. Woods just doesn't pay his bills. And what these collection agents do, they go down, and I found this out, and it irritates me. that It just aggravates me to death. It makes me want to punch somebody, you know. But I know that's coming from the soul. That's not from the spirit, right? So... They go down the white pages, and anybody who has a name, Woods, with Michael or Mike or anything, they just go down and they call those people in this area where this guy last lived. Well, I said, I'm going to give that woman a piece of my mind. I've been doing that to several women for the last two years, and men too, not just ladies. But then I had this sense in my spirit. I think the Spirit of God was speaking to me. He said, why don't you share Christ with this woman? I said, that sounds like a novel idea. <laughs> so I got the number off the machine. I called her back, and I said, this is Mike Woods. And she said, Michael S. Woods? I said, no, ma'am, but I know why you called. And I didn't give her a chance to tell. I said, God wanted you to call to let you know that Jesus Christ loves you, and he loved you enough to die on the cross for you. And he wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And if you want to know more about that, Get a copy of the Bible and read the book of John. I hope you have a great day. There was stunned silence on the alone. She didn't say anything. Her name is McGlory. I'll never forget. I love that name, MC and then Glory. And I was thinking, my glory. I thought of that. She's going to be your glory, Lord. She's going to be your glory. So I hung up the phone, and I prayed for her off and on throughout the next week. Then I get a call here at the church office. See, when they can't find them in the white pages, they go to the yellow pages. All right? So I get this note, McGlory, and I can't remember her last name, but McGlory. I said, okay, Lord, here we go again. Return the call, and I said, McGlory, do you remember when I talked to you last week? And she was very sheepish. 
Very nice. She said, yes, I do. I said, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she said, yes, I do, but I have not been following him closely. And I said, you know, the Lord really loves you to give you in the span of one week this message that you'd call me again and find me again. And I want to encourage you to get back right with the Lord. And that was the end of the conversation. Would you pray for McGlory? I don't even know where she lives, but I guarantee you the Lord's in pursuit of her. That's exciting, isn't it, when we see that? Now, I want you to know that a man like myself can walk in the Spirit and listen to the Spirit and do something that's completely out of character. You know what my character is? It's reflected in my soul. That's my personality. When I want to rise up and say, how dare you? And these people don't know me from Adam. How dare you suggest that I'm not a man of integrity when it comes to paying my bills? How dare you? That's my soul rising up within me. And what is the source of that attitude? It's pride, isn't it? It certainly is. Because I think people ought to think more highly of me than that. But we can lapse right back into soulish behavior. And this is very important to understand. Unless we continually... Trust the Spirit of God to control our lives. We will go right back into that fleshly, soulish behavior. I did it after I talked to McGlory the last time. person calls. It was a woman. And she said, Mr. Woods. I said, this is Mike Woods. She said, you are over $12,000 in arrears with your Bank of America account. I said, I beg your pardon. (laughs) I said, I'm not Michael S. Woods. And furthermore, if I knew where he was, I wouldn't tell you. Now, that's bad, isn't it? Is that bad? That, that is the soul corrupted by the flesh. And my flesh is my independence from God. If you want to know what your flesh is, it's your selfishness. It's your independence from the Lord. How do we overcome such independence? And by the way, do you know that the worst expression of the flesh, independence from God, is religious in nature? It's the worst expression because it dresses itself up in religious garbs. It uses religious language. It does religious things, but it is corrupt, just as corrupt as those things we normally associate with evil expressions of the flesh. Ask yourself this question. Why do you do religious things? Why do I get up here week in and week out to teach the Bible? Why does Becky sing? Why do we do anything? It's a penetrating question. Do we do it for attention? Or do we do it to honor the Lord? Do we do it because we want people to recognize us and appreciate us? Or do we do it out of obedience to the Holy Spirit of God? Think about your own expressions of religiosity. Remembering that to be spiritual is to be anti-religious. Because religion has to do with man expressing himself instead of the Lord expressing himself through a person. That's the difference. So how do we overcome this tendency? 
Well, we overcome the tendencies of the flesh, number one. I talked about this, and I'm not going to detail with this today. By crucifying the flesh. Saying no to myself in order that I might say yes to the Lord. If there's no cross in your life, there's no power in your life. There's a direct relationship between my coming to the Lord every day and saying, Lord, here I am. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I lay my life. And this is scary, by the way. This is not for the faint of heart. Where you come before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I'm exposed before you know everything there is to know about me anyway. Lord, just show me those areas of my life which need a corrective touch by your Spirit. Would you do that, Lord, in my life? I want to die to my own selfishness, and I want to follow you, Lord. The second step is we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this is really following on the heels of what I mentioned earlier about religious expression of the flesh. Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. He was a religious man, as we saw last week before coming to Christ. He became a spiritual man because he gave up putting confidence in himself, and he transferred the confidence to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to crucify the flesh. We have to put no confidence in the flesh. Then we have to be men and women who walk by faith and not by sight. For faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. We have to listen to the Lord. Are you listening to the Lord? Is He speaking to you today? Does He speak to you as you open your Bible daily? Does He speak to you at odd moments of the day as you're meditating on Scripture? Does He speak to you like He did that day I was getting ready for work? Does He speak to you? Are you attuned to the Lord? You have the apparatus if you know the Lord. You have the equipment. You have a renewed spirit. Are you listening? And then... Here's the last way to overcome the flesh in our lives. And that is to yield our lives to the full control of the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him already. It's a matter of saying to the Lord, Lord, Holy Spirit, I give you control of my life. I don't want to reserve anything that I'm aware of. And I give it to you. I yield it to you. And that has to be done frequently, by the way. That's not just a one-time event where we yield our hearts to the Lord and say, in our spirit, and I say, Lord, just take control of me. Fill me. Accomplish your purpose in my life. The most serious sin which a Christian can commit is to live for himself or for herself instead of for the glory of God. Are you living for yourself? Let's finish our time together by remembering the words of Jesus where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. An end of frustration, an end of fruitfulness is directly related to our being, as Jesus said, and he became grain of wheat which is willing to die and the result is we'll never be alone in this life. Let's pray.